Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. I want to uh, turn your attention, please, to Luke 15 and Romans 8. Luke 15 and Romans 8. And someone's excited about Romans 8. All right. I'm excited too. And we're going to start in Luke 15. Uh, if, if you're uh, grown up in church, been around church, these might feel like very familiar scriptures, but open your heart. Uh, if you're new to church, I think these will be really encouraging for you. And... Um, and you'll really love them. So either way, Luke 15 and verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them, them being a group of religious people and a group of sinners. Well, they're going to find out they're both sinners, uh, but there's basically two groups that have come to hear Jesus preach. There's the sinners, the quote sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the alcoholics, the drug addicts, all those, the adulterers, all those people that were always wanted to be around Jesus, by the way. And then there was a group of what we would call religious leaders, Pharisees, who um, looked spiritual and looked Christian, looked like they were following God. But uh, so there's two radical groups, you know, just radically different groups here listening to Jesus preach. So he tells them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Notice that, sons. Not his son, but his sons. So now both sons get the estate. A few days later, the young son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. He was in Vegas on the strip and he was burning money fast, okay? And about that time, the money ran out. Too many, uh, too many blackjack deals right there. And a great famine swept over the lamb and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Now this is a Jewish boy hanging out with pigs, okay? This is, this is Jesus' is giving context. This is the lowest of the low of the low for this young man. He became so hungry, he wanted the pig's food, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants had food enough to spare, and I'm dying of hunger. I will go to my father and say, notice this, he plans now this speech of repentance. Father, I've sinned against you, both against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to the father, Father, I've sinned. Now look, he's, he's going into his speech. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead, but now he's returned to life. He was lost. Now he's found. So let the party begin. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing. Now, you know, you got to be turned up when you know, you don't just hear the music. You hear the dancing. Think about that. He didn't see that. He heard dancing. 
okay. So they were, you know, this was getting down. There was a lot of grape juice there that day, but it was like this. It wasn't alcoholic. And your brother, <laughs> meanwhile, the older brother was in the fields. Okay, you heard it. And asked one of the servants what was going down. Your brother was, is back, he told him. Your father has filled, uh, killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, wouldn't go. His father came and begged him. And the younger brother says this, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours comes back after squandering the money on prostitutes and you celebrate him by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. Remember at the beginning of the story, the father divided it among both sons. So the son had access to all of this. He just never used it. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead, has come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. Amen. All right, one more scripture, one more scripture. Romans 8. I want, you to, I want you to think about that older brother and I want you to think about this older brother. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Our older brother Jesus is radically different than the older brother in this story. Um, verse 22, Luke 15, but his father said to his servants, quick, quick. I want to preach just for a few moments from this subject. No speech necessary. No speech necessary. Father, thank you for your grace and thank you for your word. I pray that maybe a familiar story today would not be familiar to our hearts, but I pray that you would speak to us clearly. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you that you are a good father and we've come to celebrate you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. I'll never forget my dad was out hunting one day. I'm from New Mexico. We're hunters and gatherers, amen. We're a couple of years behind the rest of the country. And uh, from New Mexico, my dad was hunting out one day and uh, got to about 10 p.m. at night. It is pitch black in the Manzano Mountains of New Mexico and he is completely lost. And out of his own mouth, he said, I am lost. And he was scared. It was uh, below zero. Uh, snow was on the ground and he was freaking out. And he began to go over hill after hill after hill. And finally, he crossed this one ledge and below down in the valley, he saw a fire and he was so pumped. It was now about midnight and uh, he basically ran to the camp, said hello. They, they brought him in and they said, bro, you need to sleep here tonight. It's crazy out there. And my dad said, no, 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 I, I, I want to get home. Just, just tell me where to go. How do I get back to, to, to where I need to go? So they said, well, you just, you just take this trail. And in about an hour, you'll be at where your car is. But they said, we really don't recommend you doing that. It's pitch black. You have no way to know where you're going. And he said, no, 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 I, I, I can do it. So uh, he knew he was lost, but now he thought he was found. He began to go towards uh, where he thought was his vehicle. He walks, he walks. It's now about 3 a.m., he turns a corner, and he is elated to see a campground. And he goes, I finally made it. I finally made it. And he walks up to the camp, and it's the same campground. <laughs> uh, he, at first, was lost and knew it, 
But the second time around, he was lost and he didn't know it. Uh, I think a lot of times there are people who come into our churches and, and they're lost and they know it. Like it's, it's obvious. Uh, Jesus is talking to two groups of people. One is obviously lost. It's the drug addict and it's the prostitute and it's the tax collector and it's the, it's the, it's the lowest of the low. They're, they're obviously lost. But then there's a group of people that are surprisingly lost. So he tells a story about two brothers because there's two groups of people. There are the notorious sinners, the obviously lost, but then there are the surprisingly lost, what we may want to call the religious people. Now, you might hear that a lot at Free Chapel. You know, we, we don't want to be religious here, and you, and you hear that a lot. Let me just try to help define that for you a little bit. When we say religious, we are speaking of a mentality of those in the Bible. Is it okay? Can I teach a little bit? I always yell at you, and I'm going to try not to, in Jesus' name. But it's probably not going to happen. We speak of a mentality of those in the Bible who wanted God, but on their own terms. They wanted a man-defined relationship with God instead of a God-defined relationship. Uh, this usually leads to us justifying our own life <laughs> while condemning everybody else. Have you, have you noticed that about people? They, they can do no wrong to themselves, but it's easy for them to condemn everyone else. Uh, so this story is not a story about a lost son, but rather two lost sons representing totally different lifestyles. Both of them in desperate need of the father. And no matter where you are today, no matter if you feel like you're a good person or a bad person, you, if you do not know Jesus, you are in desperate need of the grace of God. The purpose of this parable is not to warm our hearts. You know, we always preach this, right, about the prodigal son. If that's you today, this is your moment. You know, it's very heartwarming. But, but the, the purpose of the parable for Jesus is not to warm our hearts, but to shatter our categories. Through this parable, Jesus challenges what nearly everyone has ever thought about God, sin, and salvation. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. That's religion in a nutshell. If I do enough good, I get God, hopefully. You know, maybe one day I'll reach some heavenly place for the good works I've done. Jesus is totally breaking that. His story reveals the destructive self-centeredness of the younger brother, but it also condemns the elder brother's moral life in his strongest terms. Jesus is saying both the irreligious and religious are spiritually lost. Both paths are dead ends. And everyone needs Jesus. Can I get an amen from you? But, but Jabin, I'm good. But, but no one is good. But I've never really done anything bad. But the Bible says all have sinned. Yeah, but my sins are different than their sins. Why? Because these are the sins I've done. <laughs> <laughs> don't judge my sin because it's different than your sin you may not have context for my sin but sin is sin and sin separates and every sinner needs a savior and we are not saved by tithing we're not saved by working in the parking lot we're not saved by good works we're not saved by preaching 
We are saved by the ultimate preacher. His name is Jesus. We cannot do enough good. So, so Jesus is, is just messing people up. And now he begins to tell this story. Now, he's already told two stories. you got to know the context. Luke 15, there's the story of the lost sheep. And one of the sheep gets lost. And what does the shepherd do? He goes out and finds the sheep, right? Number two, there's a woman who loses a coin. And the woman does all she can to find the coin. But now in the third story, there's a lost son. But no one goes after the son. Now, all three stories are very similar except in this. No one goes after the boy. And I think Jesus is about to explain to us why. So there's a boy and he comes to God, comes to the father, comes to his father. And he says, I want my share of the estate. In other words, you're dead to me. (laughs) I want what you have, but I don't want you. I want what you can give me, but I don't want relationship. By the way, this is probably a good scripture for parents who you might be beating yourself up about your kids because they rebelled and they might be going crazy right now. And you think, man, what else could I have done? Well, we're looking at a perfect father and his kids rebelled. So sometimes you do what you know to do and kids are still crazy. <laughs> so keep praying, keep loving them. They, they already know they're bad, so don't bring it up at Christmas. Buy them a nice gift. And believe they're going to turn around because they will turn around in Jesus' name. So this is a, amen. (laughs) This is a massive insult. Now let me say this. When you think anything or anyone can compare to Jesus, you have grossly undervalued who Jesus is. And so many times we, we want the blessing, but we don't want the blesser. We want the gift, but we don't want the giver. We want provision, but we don't want the provider. But in doing so, we've actually missed the greatest blessing. When when, when you separate God from his stuff, you will quickly find out that that stuff is just an idol in your heart. And things are terrible gods because things don't have compassion for you. The giver is the gift. The blesser is the blessing. The provider is the provision. Now, we should believe for all that stuff. We should. But when life doesn't play along, and it it doesn't always. But you've got God. He will sustain you. But even if you get everything, if you don't have God, it won't sustain you. It'll never be enough. Don't settle for a life of stuff when you can have God Almighty. And then no matter what comes into your life, and we believe for blessing, we believe for breakthrough, we believe for provision. This is a church that believes in that. But no matter the season, we have a foundation that is greater than things, greater than cars, greater than money, greater than what our economy can provide, greater than what the American dream can provide. We have a father, a sustainer, a way maker. Christianity is a, relationships, uh, is a relationship that comes with blessing, but no blessing compares to its source. So the young man says, I, I want my stuff. And 
Here's what's amazing to me. The father gives it to him. My dad would have punched me. Come on. Orale. Okay, Chavez. That's what we do. And then he would have given me to my mom and she would have given me one of those right into the throat. I've said it before. We didn't have timeout. We had knockout. They knew where to hit you, where you couldn't show the bruise. Amen. Y'all think you're laughing. I'm in counseling. Okay. No, I'm just... He gives it to him because this is, this is the, the grace of our father. Sometimes God will answer your prayers and will allow you to do certain things in order to eventually see his goodness and show you how empty that thing is. God, I need a man. God, I need a man. Jesus, I need a man. Jesus, I need a man. I need a man. Okay. Jesus, I need a new man. Jesus, I need a new man. Jesus. What happened? I need a car. I need a car. I need a car. I'm, a, I'm God's child. I deserve a BMW. I'm God's. And then you get it. And then you can't take on the note. And then it's like, but Lord. But, uh, uh. but he answered your prayer because he's a covenant keeper. There's this crazy story in Exodus chapter 33. God says, God says, you're going to go into the land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to have victory. It's going to be awesome, but I ain't going with you. That's where we get that famous prayer of Moses where he said, Lord, if you don't go with us, we will not leave this. And, and God said it this way. He said, I'll do it because I promised it to Abraham. God said, I'll, 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 I'll answer it because I've, I've given you the promise. But God said, but Moses, I ain't going to go with y'all because you're crazy. So Moses prays and literally turns the heart of God and says, Lord, if you don't go with us, we're not going to move from this place. What what I'm saying is there are times that you might have the, the promise, but you're not necessarily in that close relationship with the father that you could be in. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying any of that. You're, 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 you're doing stuff and you, and you got stuff, but but you no longer have that relationship with the father that you once had. And immediately, I think this is amazing, within a few days, he's gone. You know, sin has a way of turning your heart quickly. That's why I think it's so important that that you're very careful about what you watch, what you listen to, what you entertain, because that thing can turn your heart. And, and like for, for us guys in here, you know, it, it's, it might start with a Maxim magazine and I'm just reading the article, but then it, but then that's not enough. And then it's the next magazine and then it's the, ne- and then you're into stuff and you're going, how did I get here? Okay. No, no one's going to say amen because, and that's okay. Cause you know, we're not, we're, we ain't trying to uncover anybody. Come to the altar. No, just kidding. No, don't. <laughs> but y'all know what I'm saying? Well, it's just this. Well, it's just that. Well, it's just. But then what happens is before you know it, your heart has turned and now you're far away. You're in a distant land and you're going, how did I get here? When did I leave? When did I move? When did, when did, when did my heart, see, we're not talking about a a distant land. Literally, we're talking about our heart. When did, when did my heart turn from the father? We, We must be so careful that things don't get in front of God. 
And, and, and I want you to notice this when you, when you read it. Here are, here are words from, from the land. Distant. Wasted. Ran out. Famine. Starve. Pigs. Hungry. Uh, this line was amazing to me. No one gave him anything. That's where this life leads without the Father. It leads to a distant place. It leads to a famine place. It leads to a starving place. I love what Jim Carrey said, one of the great poets, literally, of our generation. He said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. That's not from the Bible. That's from another JC, okay? I'm going to read it again. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. And he's, he's wasted his whole life and he's wasted his savings and he's wasted his inheritance. And verse 17, boom, he, he comes to his senses. Let me tell you why church is so important. Because the worship goes out and what, what our worship does, these are not the, you know, this is not the, the pre-service, you know, cardio to get you ready for the word. You know, that's why you shouldn't come late. Amen. I, I tweeted this morning, someone said, we need longer worship. I said, come on time. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't like when he preaches. Okay, well, I'm the worship leader and I start with four people in here. Okay, so come early, help us out. Okay, amen. And the worship team said, amen. Okay. We're like, who's ready to praise God? All the pastors. All right. And so. I know traffic's crazy. You got to check in your kids. I'm not hating. I don't know what I was talking about. I'm going to go on a rant. I'm going to keep going. No. Um, he comes to his senses. Let me tell you why worship is so important. Because when we worship, it's like a, again, this is another New Mexico term. It's like a rotor tiller on the ground of your heart. It, it uproots things and it digs things up and it, and, it, and it prepares the soil of your heart for the word. And you, you never know when one word from God and you come to your senses. One, one phrase, one, one scripture, one, it could be a joke. You don't know what it is, but the anointing that comes on preaching. And all of the sudden, it's like, oh my God, I've, I can't do this anymore. And not only, not only is it, it's not shame that says I'm wrong. It's conviction that says, and by the power of the Holy Ghost, I can, I can turn this thing around. I can go back. I can return. I can, there's some, and it happens it happens right here. That's why you got to come to church. Not just once a month. You got to come every week. You, if you're not on vacation, you got to be in church. And I know, I know Johnny's in soccer and I know Melanie's in softball and I know you got gymnastics and you got all that. And, and I'm not hating on it, but you know what? They're probably not going to go pro. You need to have them in the house of God. Look at me. I played soccer the first 16 years of my life. Just saying. <laughs> Soccer or pizza? Mm, okay. Now put him in. What is happening right now? Put him in sport. Do your thing. H have a weekend. Go on the boat, but be in the house of God. Because you never know when you're going to 
come to your senses. I'm not talking about some deep, dark sin where you got to get. I'm talking about little things. I'm talking about attitudes. I'm talking about, okay, I've got the power to forgive. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start tithing. I'm freaked out. I'm scared. I'm mad at the preacher for talking about it, but I'm going to start tithing. Because boom, you come, something happens. I'm telling you, you never know. I, I can remember the first time I ever worshiped. And I can remember lifting my hands. It was the most awkward thing in the world. I think it took me the, the whole length of the song. I started here. I actually started here. And then I went here. And then I went here. And then I uh, began to lift. And by the last chorus, I was almost there. And then I went back and wiped my face and... But you know, that's what, that's what the house of God does. It brings you back to your senses. It, it brings you back to the mind of God. It brings you back to the word of God. It, there's something about the anointing of God where you get in this atmosphere and something says, I can be healed. I, I can make it. Our marriage can work. I, I can get free from this addiction. I, I can get free from this secret thing that I'm, that I'm stuck in right now. I'm telling you, it's in the house of God. And, and there's so many, he comes to his senses. And something in him says, I've got to go back. Conviction says, run to God. Shame says, run away. Conviction, run to God. Shame says, run away from God. You got to know this about the Father. He's always calling you home. Always, 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 always. There is always a voice from heaven calling you to himself. But now he's got a little religion in him, like we all do. I'm from a Catholic family. We all got a little religion in us that says, okay, I, I want a relationship with God. Now, what do I need to do to impress him? What works do I need to do? How do I do this so that he'll accept me? And he says, oh, I'm going I'm to write this grand speech. And he begins to prepare and, and we all do it, y'all. Man, I really messed up. I better put a few more bucks in the offering. Uh, before I worship, I need to go down to the altar and repent. Oh, I, I, man, I really need to join. A, I, need, I really need to get involved in the church. I mean, man, I'm not doing anything. And man, I think God will. And, and we do things. Now, I think you should do all those things. But if you do any of those things to try to pay a price you can never pay, it's an, it's an insult to the cross. What, what, what we do when we do, this is not a mid-service snack. When we do this in a little bit, and I thought it was when I was a kid. We, we did communion every week growing up. Okay, I gotta get back to my sermon, stop. This is, this is not, okay, I need to take communion so that God will forgive me. I'm telling you, there's something that you cannot pay the price, but this young man, here's what he does because he's got, he's got that religious, he's, he's, he's going back, his heart is right, but there's still something in him that wants to, wants to do something to make God love him, to make the Father love him. And friend, it can, we can, I'm telling you, there will be so many shocked Christians who will go to heaven, who will stand before the Lord and realize, oh my God, the cross was enough. Your grace was enough. Your love was so much greater than my love. And I thought I had to do all these things, all this spiritual gymnastics to impress you, God. And I thought I had to, I thought I had to say this and do this and be this. And because we have so undervalued his love for us. 
And, and, we, and we live with it, y'all. We live with it. And we come under this fog of shame, this fog of condemnation. We love God, but, but in reality, we really don't believe he loves us, or at least to the level that he does. And that's why Paul would say, another scripture in Ephesians where he says, I'm praying for the spirit of revelation. You, you cannot know the love of God without like this moment. It's, and, and I don't think we, you never know it, know it because it's so deep and it's so high and it's so wide and it's so long. You, you'll never reach the end of it. But it takes something spiritual. And he begins to, that, that religious thing, and even in the young son begins to come out and he, and he goes, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this. Here's what I'll tell him. I'll become his hired servant. This is important because it's different than a servant. There were servants in the house who lived in the home, were basically kind of part of the family. I mean, they didn't have all the privileges of, of a family, but they were in the house. But then there were hired servants who came in and out every day. He, he did not think he could actually live under the roof again of his father. But he thought, I can come in, and here was his thought. Historians tell us and theologians tell us his thought was, I'll use my wage and I'll pay back dad. But his dad was a multi, multi-millionaire. He could never pay this debt back. By the way, we can never pay our debt back. When we receive communion, and I say receive, when we re and we'll do it here in a couple of minutes, but when we receive communion, we're saying, I can't do it. But Jesus, you did it. And I, re and I receive what you have done, not what you're going to do, what you have done. Jesus did not say, it's almost finished on the cross. He said, it is finished. It's, it's done. And all you have to do is receive and and he begins to go into the speech. Verse 20, he says, says, Father, I've sinned. He goes into it. And right in the middle of his, right in the middle of his prayer. I mean, he's getting his praise on. This is his moment. It's going to be so impressive. Right in the middle of it, the father just goes, quick. No, no, but dad, let me, let me. No, no, quick, quick, quick. We got to get a robe. We got to get a ring. We got to get some food. We got to do this thing. But no, 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 it's going to take time. No, 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 it's going to be quick. There are certain religions that teach that you will go your whole life, hopefully one day, maybe someday, reaching a state of nirvana or reaching a state of, of heaven or reaching. I'm telling you, God can do something in you quick. I want you to think about this. If you, and this isn't religious, if you started reading your Bible and praying every day and worshiping, you would be a totally different person in three months. Compare that to any other way of thinking about God. It's a quick work. God, re God forgives you quickly. He says, quick. I'm telling you, there's a quick work. And God says, the Father says, there's no speech necessary. And the Father runs to him. He embraces him. He kisses him. You would never kiss a servant. You would never touch a servant. The Father is saying, this is my son. He was dead, but... But he's alive, he was lost, but he's found the team can come up. And, and I'm not going to treat you as a hired servant. That's what you deserve. Well, you really deserve death. One person came up to me, they had the flu. They said, I think I, think I have the flu because God's 
judging me. I think I deserve the flu. I said, no, honey, you deserve hell. But if he's not going to give you hell, why is he going to give you the flu? Yeah. Yeah. Romans 8 says, if he did not spare his son, in other words, if he gave you Jesus, why would he not give you healing? If he gave you Jesus, why would he not give you provision? Somebody shout real quick. I told you I wasn't going to yell. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And he brings him right back to sonship. But the religious, the older brother, he was angered. Many times, see, how you respond to another person's blessing ultimately reveals what you think about God. God can't forgive them. What you're really saying is God can't forgive me. They're not going to, that group isn't going to heaven. And in reality, you don't know if you're going to heaven. And he's, and he's, he's angered. And he says, I've slaved for you, but he's a son. And I'm emotional because I've lived this way before. And I'm emotional because I think a lot of you, you live this way. I'm slaving for God. Do it. But you're a son. You're a daughter. And the father's response to the older brother is, dear son. What, what, why would you say this? Why would you believe this about me? Why would you believe this about yourself? But you get stuck in this religious rat race. And when you do good, you expect good. But when you do bad, you expect bad. And it's no different than karma. It's, it's so far from grace. So many times we end up living a life that says, if I do bad, I owe God. But if I do good, God owes me. And it's so shaming. And it's so condemning. Because when any challenge comes into your life, you don't run to God. You look at yourself. Do you see that? What did I do wrong to get this? You, you didn't. It's just life. And so we go back to the anchor of our soul. We go back to the Father and we say, Dad, I'm in a challenge, but I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to go through it with you. And the other two stories, the shepherd searched for the sheep and the woman searched for the coin, but in the third, there's no one searching. See, the father would have empowered the older brother to be responsible for the younger brother. Remember when Abel dies and God goes to Cain, he says, where's Cain? This is already even pre-Jewish culture. And, and Cain goes, am I my brother's keeper? God's saying, yeah, you are your brother's keeper. Your response... 
God did not go to Adam and say, Adam, where's Abel? He went to Cain because Cain was expected to take care of his younger brother. But the older brother didn't go out and search for the younger brother. Why? Because it would have cost him. Under Jewish tradition, when the father split up the, the savings, he would have given one third to the younger and he would have given two thirds to the older. But to restore the younger would have been very expensive. Because to really bring him back into the family, the older brother would have had to give him half. The older brother said, that's just too high of a price. I can't do it. Who would, who would pay such a high price? <laughs> but we have an elder brother. The firstborn among many brothers and sisters who says, I'll leave home. I'll leave heaven. And I will pay the ultimate price. I will lay down my life and I will find you. I will search you out. In a, I will go to a distant land. I will come to a sin-filled earth and I will lay down my life and I will give everything I have so that you could be forgiven. We have an elder brother. We have a true older brother. It costs him everything. So Philippians chapter 2 says this and it'll come on the screen. Think as Jesus Christ thought. Jesus has always been as God is. But he did not hold to his rights as God. He put aside everything that belonged to him and made himself the same as a servant who is owned by someone. He became human by being born a man. And after he became a man, he gave up his important place and obeyed by dying on a cross. Because of this, God lifted Jesus high above everything else and he gave him a name that is greater than any name. So when the name of Jesus is spoken, everyone in heaven, on earth and under the earth will bow down before him and every tongue will say Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone will, honor, will, will give honor to God the Father. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are blessed.